Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Amy Bouchats. Amy is a reporter, editor, runner, army wife, and is the founder of Humans Outside. Humans Outside helps us all to get outside for at least 20 minutes a day, every single day. She is also the host of her own podcast, Humans Outside. I've been following her page for a while, and it is so inspiring. Did I mention that she does this all from Alaska? Which I've always said that I've lived through enough winters growing up in Chicago, so I give her a ton of credit for getting out there in the cold. I cannot wait to hear more about her story and book flight on today's episode. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to talk about two of my favorite things, which would be going outside and also reading books. This is great. (laughs) Well, I am so glad to have you. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are? So as you mentioned, I am talking to you from Alaska. I live in Palmer, Alaska, which is sort of near Anchorage. And if people have come up here on a cruise or visited Anchorage, they might have visited Palmer. Uh, we are the host of the state fair. So that's one of the things that people okay. come here for. Yeah. And if you drove into Alaska or into this part of Alaska, the Anchorage area from the outside through Canada, you probably came through Palmer on your way to visit. So lots of people drive through Palmer. It is an adorable little town. We ended up here in 2016 when my husband was getting out of the active duty army and joining the National Guard. And he decided to join the Alaska Army National Guard because we wanted to move to Alaska. We wanted to sort of change our lives to live somewhere more nature centric so that he could spend more time outside helping himself with some challenges that he had from service, PTSD, and a traumatic brain injury. So we get up here and, you know, I am a reporter and editor. My job moved up here with me. We're living the life. And I'm like, woohoo, we're going to be outdoorsy. <laughs> And it was hard. So (laughs) like I was just so tired from moving and, you know, everything was really overwhelming. Frankly, we moved here from Tennessee. I grew up on a beach in California. Okay. I was going to ask. Yeah. And like, I had never lived somewhere with winter before. I mean, for real. (laughs) Okay. And that is for real winter there. For real winter. And it's not just that it's cold. It's that it's long. I think people really think it's the temperature itself. And yes, that's a challenge, but you can do anything for a few days. It's the fact that winter really starts in October as the light fades and ends in March. Actually, right about the time that we're talking right now, it is suddenly beautiful outside. It is a bright, shiny, sunshiny day. I'm walking around in Burks and socks over here (laughs) because my goodness, it is a heat wave. It is 40 degrees. So (laughs) I was actually going to ask because I remember growing up or living in Chicago for most of my life before my husband joined the Navy, it would hit like 50 ish degrees and people would be in flip flops. Like it was like this unsaid thing. And I'm like, if you lived anywhere else in the country, you would think we were crazy. But it's just the fact that it breached 50 and you're like, oh, flip flop weather. (laughs) That's right. And I am like, and I got socks on with the Burks. Let's not go crazy. (laughs) But I'm definitely living on the edge over here and pretty excited about it. So yeah. So then in 
2017. So we lived here a year. And I was like, why am I not outdoorsy? What is wrong with you, Alaska? Why don't you love me? And aren't you, why aren't you being beautiful for me all the time? And I realized the funny thing is the weather doesn't work like that. You have to change your expectations and fit what you have. It doesn't work the other way around. I am sorry to report. So I thought, you know, what I need is a little challenge. I like to have challenges, right? Um, Whether that is a going outside challenge or a reading challenge, you know, like I just respond really well to that. I know myself, right? So I thought, okay, I'm going to go outside every day, see what happens. And I did that through the summer. I went outside for at least a little bit every single day, had a great time, really found it to be transformative. And I thought, you know, I'm not done yet. What if I did this every day for a year? And what if I had some rules, like a minimum amount of time? And I picked 20 minutes because it sounded like something I might actually do. Yeah, seems attainable. (laughs) Yeah, attainable. But also there was some science out at the time that said 20 minutes is a pretty good amount of time for finding benefits. There's even more research that says that now. So September 1st, 2017, I kicked off my little experiment and that was over 2000 days ago. I have gone outside every single day for that minimum 20 minutes or more since then. And I have no intention of stopping. And really, that's what the Humans Outside podcast talks about. And that's what the Humans Outside Challenge talks about, is getting outside and setting that goal for yourself and just really seeing how it can change your life. Yeah, well, kudos to you. That's amazing. One of my questions I was thinking about this afternoon as I was thinking about our interview is, okay, I know Alaska is dark most of the winter. What does your days outside look like during the winter? Well, they become a lot more scheduled, I'll be honest, because okay. I my priority is to get outside in the daylight. So when the sun rises around 10 a.m. and it sets around 4 p.m., that doesn't leave a lot of time for that. So yeah. you have to be very purposeful. Now, if you worked a full-time job in an office, that would probably look like carving out your lunch break for a walk or something outside. And because it's cold, you really do have to be moving. There's no like, I'm just gonna sit on my porch today. That's out. So you have to find some way that you can be moving to stay comfortable. You wear a lot of layers and you just make it happen. And so my days outside look like going for a quick cross country ski. We have some trails, just total happenstance that we have these trails right behind my house because we live adjacent to a high school and the high school has a cross-country course and the cross-country course is behind my house so we go out there and ski a little bit or I'll just take the dogs on the walk we had a very very snowy winter this year and so I actually have spent very little time in the backwoods where I usually go because the snow drifts are so high it snowed a lot and then it was really windy so we're talking like six seven eight foot tall snow drifts and I go through them and my old dog and her old hips really goes through them so we've just been spending time taking walks in our neighborhood Um, And it's been kind of delightful. You know, the great thing about going outside every day is that every day is a lot of time, a lot of time. You (laughs) you can find something to do and you can do the same thing again, and then you can do something different the next time. There are no laws and there's more than enough days for you to shake it up when you feel like it or just to lean into what's comfortable when you don't. Yeah. I love what you're saying because sometimes I feel like We get this idea in our head that getting out in nature needs to be these big production and these big activities that cost money. And honestly, you can just go out your front door and it be free. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, this time of year when it's suddenly nice outside, I am wearing all of my layers and I'm sitting on my back porch eating my lunch or reading a book. 
I did that today or (laughs) just being, you know, just watching the trees. And, you know, I don't think that it has to be a production. In fact, it's better when it's not a production because saying I'm going to do something every day and then always making it a production makes it inaccessible Mm -hmm. and nature shouldn't be inaccessible. It should be right where you are. Yeah. I think about for my kids and what you're kind of saying about clothing. We lived in Washington state like a year and a half ago. And I read the book, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. Have you read that one? Yeah. Okay. And it's about basically for listeners, it's about getting your children outside. And the premise is, is there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just bad clothing. So not having the right gear to go outside in the conditions. And um, so that you may need to spend a little bit of money there to beef up your gear that you might need for depending on where you live. But it can be done and then it's free to go out into the trails and i found getting out into those woody forests was amazing because it was almost like this natural rain shelter we weren't getting as wet as i thought we would because there was all this protection from the trees and that was really cool yeah and when we start talking about gear we start being privileged really fast right because now we're assuming we have money to spend on the gear and i don't want anyone to think that having a pocketbook constraint is going to keep them from going outside. There are lots of ways to find cheap gear, consignment sales, thrift shops, and then simply layering. You'd be surprised by how effective just wearing non-cotton, because cotton does not keep you warm, layers keeps you warm. And when you're comfortable, when you're warm and comfortable and dry, you are way more likely to want to spend time outside. I mean, our bodies say, hey, I'm uncomfortable. And then our brains say, let's get out of here. (laughs) It's a wonder that you want to go inside. But if you can find ways to power through that point where you understand that you are comfortable and therefore you feel safe, then you can go ahead and do it. And yeah, there are lots of accessible ways to find cheap, affordable outdoor gear. You don't need to go to insert outdoor supplier here and spend hundreds of dollars on gear. You just have to, you do have to make an effort though. Yeah. Yeah. We did a lot of shopping at Goodwill because we were only stationed there for one year. And so I was like, and I knew we came from San Diego. We were going back to San Diego. We knew, but we had this one year stint in Washington and I'm like, I'm not going to spend all this money on rain gear to know I'm literally moving back to San Diego where I'll, well, although it's been a very rainy winter, but like I will very rarely use it. (laughs) So um, especially when my kids would grow out of it. For me, it would be a different story. But we did a lot of shopping at Goodwill. And then I I donated most of it back when we left because I'm like, well, we won't need it. So well, because people are doing the same thing you are, right? They're buying stuff for their kids who immediately grow out of it. And then they're passing it on or they're selling it again. And so there's no reason not to be a part of that ecosystem. You know, I even have this cool thing going with a couple of friends of mine. My one friend whose son is older, dumps her used stuff at my house. And then I use it and take it to the next house. And I assume that they are passing it on as well because that's how it goes, right? They got something free and we just sort of all feed into that. And yes, I have to supplement what she gives us a a little bit, but not a lot actually. And so it really helps to do that, to save some cash. And then it is accessible to go outside with your kids. Yeah, absolutely. Do your kids get out most days with you? I wish that I could say that that was true. I often am doing my outside time these days by some fitness activity or running, you know, running, skiing or whatever. And I think any mom who's listening to this knows that the kids should not be with her. 
during that. So yeah, that's like your moment of peace. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So while we do foster a family environment that really is centered on going outside, and sometimes that looks like me saying, stop watching that, go outside, probably more than they wish they, I did say that. I do spend a pretty good percentage of my outside time alone, but I'm also an introvert. And so I just, I need that time and nature is great for that. Yeah. And you, I've, you're leading by example as well. So your kids are seeing that. That's so. the dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. So listeners, I will put um, her website and your Instagram page in the show notes. Um, and then that way you can follow her inspiring story as well if you want to join in on the challenge. Because um, I've loved seeing your pictures. I have never been to Alaska myself, but I have seen your pictures and I've seen other pictures of Alaska. It looks like a beautiful place. Um, I have to ask, were you, was your husband stationed in Alaska at all? Or was this just on a whim you guys chose Alaska? I mean, whim makes it sound very spontaneous. Uh, we had no, we had never been here. We moved okay. here sight unseen. Anyone who's listening who's been in the military knows that other people you know are also in the military. And also you're used to moving places without being there. It's just sort of like, oh, old hat. Like, that's what we do. Not a big deal. Well, we had been stationed in Washington State and we really loved it. But we did not love the traffic and we did not love the crowds. And so I really wanted to move back there. But I knew that my husband dealing with the stuff he was dealing with did not want to move back there as much as I did. However, we had some very good friends there who had lived in Alaska. This is like moving by virtue of rumor now that had lived in Alaska and they really liked it. And they also really liked Washington. So we were like, oh, if they liked Washington and they liked Alaska, we'll like Alaska. So we moved here. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I can totally relate, though. The sight unseen. I mean, we bought our house here sight unseen. (laughs) Yeah. But I think as readers, as people who love to read, we cannot resist this story, this sort of like adventure story. And we're going to talk about adventure stories today, but I really gravitate towards that. And so I just like, I could not resist this idea of this grand adventure going to Alaska and, you know, this whole story arc of people move there, sight unseen. What do they find? What's the journey like? I could just, I couldn't resist. I couldn't say no. And so I just, I had to live it. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like in our moving along the way, my husband will have some mishaps here and there, right? Because inevitably that's going to happen while you're moving. But he'll tell me in the moment of stress or panic or whatever I'm feeling, he'll be like, this is going to make a great story one day. And I kind of give him the eye like, you can't be saying this right now. But then inevitably it does. It makes this great story that we laugh about later on down the road. So, well, awesome. Well, why don't we transition? I feel like this is a great point to telling us a little bit about your reading life. So I know you mentioned sometimes you get outside and you do your 20 minutes outside while reading, but what does reading look like for you? So I have always been a reader. I have, well, I, you know, I think, I think many readers have this moment where they unlock that passion. And mine was standing in a school library in Santa Cruz, California, where I grew up and the librarian suggesting some of the American girl books to me. And I just like, I'm kind of getting emotional thinking about it. Isn't that weird? (laughs) I was just like, 
it was just like this light bulb moment. And we're going to talk about another one of the books they, that same librarian suggested to me at a scholastic book fair. Where else? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I have always been like that. And so where I really love to read is, oh gosh, anywhere. You know, my reading life looks like capturing a little bit of time in bed or reading a book on the back porch. You know, you mentioned I host those Humans Outside podcast. I interview a lot of authors, so I'm often reading their books ahead of the interview, but I run my own show. So I'm interviewing people who I find interesting, whose work I want to read. And so that looks like getting to read something and then getting to talk to the author about it. So that's off, you know, that is nonfiction. Um, I love to read by campfires. I love to read in tents. I love to read in front of camp uh, camp stoves in cabins. I mean, you name sort of the picturesque reading spot, sign me up. Growing up, it was, and I mentioned I'm an introvert. It was my mom would drag me to some sort of meeting and I'd be off in a corner reading my book, you know, uh, pre-Kindle days, right? We, when we, yeah. And when you're a kid, like you haul around this humongous book that weighs like, woof five pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even recently went on a girl's trip. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take maybe two books. Cause I, I have this moment of like, I can't just bring one. Cause I, I very much have books that I, I have a nonfiction read for the morning, a fictional read for the evening. And I have usually one other one floating around in my reading list at the time. And so I'm like, I can't just bring one book on this, this trip with me. I have to bring two. And so then I'm like, which books can fit in the suitcase, right? Like, cause I actually, I still don't have a Kindle. I had one, I had the first generation one and then it died and I've really just transitioned back into book books as one of my guests has referred to it. But I have, yeah, I'm like, oh, here I am lugging around books again, back to my childhood days. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, and I do love a book book. Who among us does not? Yeah. But I will say there's something to be said for the convenience of the Kindle. It saves me from getting books from the authors I'm interviewing that I'm then going to toss because those are sent to me. Okay. Um, and I don't have the space to keep a library like that of books that I probably won't reread. So I am able to do that uh, and get preview books that way. But also when when you travel, when you go backpacking, having that Kindle is yeah. very nice because I'm taking a whole library with me out into the backpacking trail instead of lugging books. But I will say every year we go, in recent memory, we've been going on a family vacation on a cruise because it's just uh, unarguably the easiest vacation you can think of. So yes. we go on this cruise and I read legitimately a book a day, if not more. And so awesome. my suitcase looks like stacks of books because I go on my Facebook page and in sometime in early December and I say, Hey guys, what have you read this year? And then they, everybody jumps in. We're talking a couple hundred comments, listing all of their favorite books. And then I go through that and I just pick the titles that I think sound good. And also like whatever authors I'm familiar with. Okay. This is like not a super discriminating system, (laughs) right? It's just like, what, what does this title sound snappy? I don't know. Um, Or if a friend who has recommended something good before I'm like this person and I have good taste so then I go to my library app and I look up all the books that I've picked out of this list that have been recommended and I put all of them on hold and whatever materializes before we go on vacation is what I take with me um and so so (laughs) it ends up being like this spattering of fiction and nonfiction and light and not light 
Um, and it's a really fun way to do that. But yes, my husband was like, what are you doing? Because of course, whatever materializes <laughs> is sometimes e-reader, awesome for traveling. And sometimes like literally a stack of six or seven books. One of these books this year, hard copy included Demon Copperhead, which is not a small book. Not okay. small. <laughs> I have not read it. I've heard it and I have not seen it, but I, I did not know it was a bigger book. So it is a bigger book and it was with me on this trip. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. That's really funny. Cause I, I totally can relate to that as well. <laughs> Do you have genres that you prefer to read? It sounds like you kind of read all types. I love classic literature. We'll talk about that in a bit. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy nonfiction, like sort not really self-help, but like a self-help memoir. Think The okay. Year of Less by Kate Flanders or maybe The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. Yeah. I really enjoy what I call, and I, I think it's generally referred to here as Alaska Kana. So these are books, lesser known books, about these amazing people who have moved here and had just spectacular adventures. And I can totally envision myself as one of these people. I think that's why I like them so much. Yeah. But there's um, a book called Alaska Not for a Woman, and it's by, it's out of print. You can only <laughs> buy it at her, this lady's and now deceased woman's um, inn that she started, Mary's McKinley Inn, and her name's Mary Carey. And she was just like this firecracker who moved up here in the 1950s by herself wow. uh, in her VW bug and then had this amazing life and wrote this book. And I just, I cannot get enough of this. So I just really like true, I guess that's true adventures, but relatable yeah. to where I live so that I can imagine myself as the person who's doing it. Yeah. I love when books transport us like that. We can, I, I, you know, it makes me think, would I do the same thing if this was me, if I was faced with this? And you have a very relatable position having, you know, living in Alaska and being able to do that. So, oh, I love that. Well, you might have to send me, I might have to, on the side, send me some of those titles because I would love to pick those up. I really love the books that let me feel like I'm in the place and I feel like I can get a good picture of it as well. Like a strong sense of place, I guess, is what I'm trying yeah, to say there. Yeah, Kristen Hanna is great for that. I was going to ask about The Great Alone, but she's a big one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I really, actually, I really liked The Great Alone. Um, and yeah, I could totally envision myself there. That was based down off of Homer, Alaska, where I've, I'm not going to say I go there a lot. It's about a five-hour drive, but I've been there several times. Okay. And um, yes, it's very, it's very easy to visualize that. Yeah. Yeah, she did a great job. I think that was one of the first books I read about Alaska. So, well, really neat. Well, why don't we go ahead and dive into our book flight today then? Well, I am really excited to do this. So uh, we have picked a book flight collectively, I think, you and yeah. I, <laughs> um, of youth non, I'm sorry, youth fiction, but it's not, it's like um, classic fiction, right? Is yes. that what you would characterize it as? Yeah. Oh yeah. Classic okay. literature for sure. Classic literature, but it's not like classic literature, like Hamlet. It's classic literature targeted to youth readers primarily. So the three books that we have today are Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell, which I mentioned earlier. The Secret Garden by Frances Hudson Burnett, whose name I'm never sure I'm taking saying correctly, <laughs> and Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Yay. And these are three of my favorite books, although I will say it was so hard, so hard to pick them. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, why don't we go ahead and dig in a little bit to the Island of the Blue Dolphins, if you could give us a little background on it. And I honestly, 
I know all of these titles when you say them, but it has been so long since I've read them that I'm like, I want to go back and pick these up once you sent them. I'm like, this is a good reminder. Oh, no, let's go re- back and revisit these. I read this copy of Island of the Blue Dolphins absolutely ragged. I mentioned that it was a, a scholastic book fair acquisition, probably in fourth grade. <laughs> I've read it so many times. And the reason I have read it so many times is I had a really easy time visualizing myself as the main character. So Island of the Blue Dolphins is about a woman named Karana, whose name, again, I'm not at all sure I'm pronouncing correctly. But isn't that like a reader thing where you see words and you think <laughs> them in your brain and you're like, that's how that's said. And then you find grow up and find out, no, 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 no. <laughs> that has happened anyway. to me so many times. Like my husband will be like, that's not how you say that. And I'm like, well, I must have learned to read it in a book then. <laughs> that's right. Like, especially French words in, um, you know, the three musketeers or something like that. You're like, oh, that's just how it's pronounced in my head. And then people are like, it's not a word. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I digress. Karana uh, is a girl really in the book. She's supposed to be around 12 years old. She lives on what is now actually the Channel Islands National Park off the coast of California. So she lives on an island with her people. She's a uh, indigenous and Native American and uh, a group of Alouette hunters. So Russian hunters comes to the island to hunt hunt seals and they basically decimate her people so this is just sort of the beginning of of this book are we allowed to say spoilers i'm i'm very nervous about spoiling these wonderful books for people. i wouldn't let's not i haven't had spoilers on the episodes yet so if you're okay so no spoilers but this is <laughs> this is you'll read this in like the in the recap so it, on the back of the book without spoilers i promise okay, okay? perfect so the alouettes come and her people are basically decimated And the story is about how she is essentially left behind on the island when her people leave with a Catholic missionary to start a new life. Like the missionary comes, say, oh, we'll help you. And then they take off in a boat and she gets left behind. So the story is really about her being on the island and existing alone for decades and surviving and just her life there. And I loved this book because I grew up a couple of blocks from a beach. I didn't have a lot of friends and I was homeschooled after fifth grade. And so I spent a lot of time on the beach by myself. And I spent a lot of time pretending to be this chick. Um, <laughs> just like having this imagination yeah. play and having the freedom to do that. And so I had this pile of rocks against the, the cliff at this beach that I live next to. And that was my little fort and AKA her house, who can say, and, and I just imagined myself there. And so it was um, very relatable to me and very easy to play. And I really just that book and that imagination has a special place in my heart because of that. I found it super relatable. Um, Yeah. You know, and the book is a work of classic literature. Your child may be assigned to read it in fourth grade, whether they like it or not. Um, Mine were. And I was like, oh, goody. And they were like, oh, no. So (laughs) weirdly, my enthusiasm was not contagious about this. But it is a great example of classic children's literature because it is designed to be at that little bit of a lower reading level in the in the vein of classic literature, right? Like we're not talking Harry Potter level reading level. It's a little bit higher than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, and the just the what 
look at hearing about your childhood, right? And the imagination that it produced and it spurred in you to have, that is so fun. And I think that we lose that a little bit as adults. Yeah, absolutely. But that's one of the great things about continuing to be a reader as an adult is that you can imagine yourself. Well, I would say that's also one of the challenges of reading, right? So we briefly, t- I mentioned Damon Copperhead a little bit earlier, and I, I know you haven't read it, but it deals with some very heavy subjects, right? Yeah. And as a parent reading about this, the narrator who grows up throughout the book, I could relate to that as if that was my child and it was a very emotional read for that reason so i don't think we've lost that entirely i think we just don't tend to read books that spark a fun imagination as opposed to sort of a heavy imagination a heavier absolutely um, I was giggling when you first started talking about this book, about how you, you know, you had like destroyed this book almost in reading it because as we were getting ready to leave Washington, all our stuff had already shipped and we stopped by a little free library. I thought maybe we could find a fun book or two for the kids. And I pulled Island to the Blue Dolphins. I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to get this. Again, I'm not sure the contagiousness of my excitement was picked up by my kids, but we grabbed it. And it was definitely an older copy. And we get it home and this thing like disintegrated on my table. I went to open it to be like, Marco Slate's my oldest, but let's take a look at this. And all the pages just fell out (laughs) of this book. It had been like taped together multiple times. So whoever we gained it from really loved it as well. And unfortunately, it didn't make the move with us because all the pages were everywhere. But I was like, (laughs) we will get this book at a later date. (laughs) It is important to read it in order. So I support your decision. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I had to giggle when you were saying that because I'm like, well, we might have picked up your copy last year in Washington. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think I think my copy actually might be in this room where I'm recording with you right now. I keep I keep some important books uh, in in a drawer sort of handy in case I want to look at them, you know, stroke them a little bit. Nothing yeah. weird. So <laughs> return to your formative years a little That's bit. That's right. That's right. That's right. So. Well, great. Is there anything else you'd like to add about that one? Read it. Okay. That's it. Yes. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott Odell. And then what's our second book of the pairing today? Okay. So we have The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Again, not sure I just about want to make you say name. it again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing that to me. Okay. So The Secret Garden is another one of these fantastic classic children literature books that's heavy on imagination. And I'm not sure my kids were assigned to read this in school, although maybe they should have been because it's delightful. Uh, but the story arc is this. Mary is a little girl who lives in India. Why do so many British classic children's literature British books start with children living in India? I cannot say, but here we are. So she lives in India with her family. Her dad is in the British military and there is a yellow fever outbreak or cholera outbreak or some sort of terrible disease and they all die. Everyone dies except her. Okay. This is like not spoiling anything. It's like the first couple pages of the book. So she is sent to live with a cranky uncle again, Typical story arc, right? Cranky uncle in England. And she's very, very, very spoiled because she's been waited on hand and foot. And now she's basically left to her own devices in the middle of nowhere in England, living with cranky, reclusive uncle guy. Okay, so now she's in this huge house by herself and she has to get her life together and make her own fun and explore and stop having such a terrible attitude and do terrible things like dress herself every single day. 
Uh, okay. So one of the things she does is she goes outside and explores. And in the process of this, she runs across a gardener and she follows a robin and she finds that she's outside a garden that is walled but has no door. And so thus the secret garden. And the book is then about her relationship with the outdoors and her growth and her experience sort of becoming a whole person, recovering from being spoiled, recovering from losing her parents, recovering from climate change, (laughs) from going from India to Great Britain, and all the things that go along with that. So no spoilers. It's delightful. But I don't just love it because... It's about going outside, although I realize now that that's interesting, (laughs) but because it's really about exploring and the surprises that you can find in life when you follow your curiosity and because that's really what it's about and, and how you grow and how you move the people along with you and how they grow and how we all sort of become better together through this process. Yeah, I love that such great life lessons there with that does she i can't remember does she have a she has a transformation throughout the story as well yes absolutely yep she becomes you know not so weird (laughs) (laughs) which i always like to see in the books i have a hard time when that character you know especially with characters i don't like but if there's some hope or there's a transformational story happening i tend to be rooting for the characters along the way and it really endears me to them even more so, and then, well, I don't even want to ask that question because that might be a spoiler. So I'll ask you after our call. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has to read the book. The end. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So that was The Secret Garden. Here's my turn. By Frances Hodgson Burnett. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then what's the last book of our pairing today? Okay. So final number three. Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. This is still firmly in this category of classic youth literature, but I would say it's a little bit higher of a reading level than those other two, just because of the way it is written. I I guess that's what makes a reading level, but it uses some more complicated prose and more complicated sentence structure than those other two books. So um, this book is about, again, it's an adventure story. Do we see a theme here? Uh, a guy, a kid named Jim works at a pub, an English pub. So it's like a um, boarding house with his mother after his father dies. And they have a boarder whose name is Billy Bones. And Billy Bones is, we start to strongly suspect, a pirate. There's, <laughs> I mean, this is just, we're off to such a good start, yeah. right? So pirate Billy Bones has a bragging about treasure and sort of, he's just belligerent because he's drunk all the time. So one day other pirates show up and they threaten his life effectively. It's very dramatic and, and uses way more fun terminology than that. And he essentially dies. Okay. So he leaves behind a treasure map that Jim then takes to a trusted adult Ah, children always take things to trusted adults, but maybe those trusted adults will not then take you on a long voyage in search of treasure with some highly questionable shipmates. I don't know. But if they do, you might start asking questions. That's what happens in this book. And so Treasure Island (laughs) is the island in question, and it is about a treasure hunt like many good pirate books are. And um, again, it is a super fun 
adventure read about a hunt for treasure and some pirates and all sorts of wonderful sort of, you know, 19th century uh, sort of storylines. <laughs> yeah. And what child is not intrigued by a treasure map? I feel like my children, it, the moment will be like, you know, let's have a little scavenger hunt or and make a map. There are like light bulbs are going off and they are all for it. <laughs> and I will say Muppet Treasure Island is a surprisingly good adaptation of the book. So oh, there's okay, that. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was just here for a few weeks and we were recently talking about the Muppets and showing my kids what the Muppets were because they didn't know. <laughs> wow. That that's a good so. one. that one is a, is a very good one and it sticks very closely actually to the storyline of the book. So I do not endorse watching movies of books before you read the book because I think it sure. spoils the entire thing. Uh, I'm not going to say the Muppets are exactly the book. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, may you rest in peace. <laughs> but uh, it actually is a is a pretty good adaptation. So if somebody has seen that, they've they know the story arc of the book. But again, it's it's a fun, a delightful adventure read um and it it's just a good little escape and and again I, it was another thing that i could pretend on a beach while yeah. i co beach comb for hidden treasure which by the way i did not find so <laughs> <laughs> my son for christmas this year wanted a metal detector we live cl pretty close to the beach here and so he has a metal detector now that goes to the beach with us and for similar reasons as your own He's hoping he'll find treasure there. As That's well. a great gift. That's a gift I have considered getting my uh, almost 14-year-old as well. Get, get him outside, you know? I'm yeah. just saying. And that's so. what I was thinking. Like, he's not really into building sandcastles anymore. So I'm like, well, while your younger siblings build sandcastles, you can go off with your metal detector. And But he's yet to really actually use it. He still runs around on the beach or plays football, you know, frisbee, something like that. So... <laughs> But, you know, this is the one book of your flight that I don't know if I read as a kid. The other two I know for sure. I just had forgotten the storyline because it's been a long time since I've read them. But this one, I'm like, I'm, yeah. I don't know that I've read it. But it's a classic. I need to. It is a classic. It is, I would say, the most accessible of Robert Louis Stevenson's books. He wrote, of course, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, he also wrote Kidnapped. And again, they tend to be sort of heavy prose, sort of old-timey English literature type of, um, I mean, not not as heavy as Dickens, but sure. getting close. And it can be a challenge, I think, especially for today's young reader who is not used to reading like that. So yeah. an adult may find this more accessible. It might actually be a great book to read out loud. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because I know they have, um, I can't think of the name of it, but it's audiobooks, and they basically do it in theater format. And, oh, goodness. I'll, I'll look it up, listeners, and I'll put it in our show notes, but they do audiobooks, and it's in character and voices, and that, that might be a more accessible way to read it for the younger, just to pick up on the different, you know, characters along the way, possibly, and in context, maybe. Yeah, Exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much. So that was Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. And in some of our episodes, I've offered a dessert pairing because I read some of these books as well. And so I'd love to offer a dessert pairing today. Um, have you read The Trumpet of the Swan? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I was like, That's it. this is what's coming to mind as an adventure book. It's a classic. Um I'll just give a quick little rundown here. We just, I actually am homeschooling my kids right now because we've done a lot of moving in the past three years. 
And so we read this for school this year and it's by E.B. White. So also author of Charlotte's Web. Um, but my kids were riveted by this book and it is about Louis the Swan and he's born without a voice. And you're getting the, the, his parents' perspective, the swans, right? You're getting this perspective, but his parents are very worried about him and how he's going to survive in the wild and how he's going to find a mate because he doesn't have a voice to honk at his mate to do this. And he meets this young boy who's camping with his father, and I believe it's Montana, where they meet him. And and he comes across the swan, and he's he kind of starts observing him and realizes that he doesn't have a voice. And it's just this fun adventure where the swan goes and he goes to the East Coast and he gets a trumpet. He had to steal the trumpet from the store, which he brought the swan. Louis the swan felt really bad about. So he decides he's going to go play the trumpet at these parks and he's going to make money and he's going to bring the store owner back the money from breaking his window and stealing this trumpet that he made. So it's it's a fun adventure story told from the perspective of the animal mostly. But I think that's why it was so endearing to my kids as they, you know, the swan Louis had a voice and and his parents and he, he he finds a mate that he loves but he can't quite tell her until and he comes back with this trumpet and surprises them all and it's a great little adventure story so just something I thought I would add for you listeners if you want one more um, and that's definitely a de- early reader my oldest is seven and he was he loved it so it could be on the younger reader side for that one Let's jump into now our bonus pairings, which is our speed round of questions. So these you can just answer really quick um, and you don't need to give us a super long answer for that. So So hard. They're so hard. (laughs) (laughs) You've you've mentioned a lot of places that you've liked to read, but where would be your favorite place to read? I think I have to say in front of a campfire. That sounds perfect. With with coffee. (laughs) With coffee. There you go. Warm drink, warm fire. You're good to go. What is one book you have read that has changed your life? So you have talked about this book on your podcast before. It is Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Just today, my sister actually is so funny. She sent me a picture of herself standing uh, in front of the Bart Lajorastat. Did I say that right? That's the no that's idea. the street okay. that uh, they live on, I believe, in this book. And again, this is one of those words that you're like, mm, that's just been said in my brain all these yeah. years. I was like, I've never read it as an audiobook, so I have no idea. I hope that's right. Okay. Uh, but I sincerely love this book. My mother read this book out loud to us when I was a kid, which has various levels of appropriateness now that I think about it. But um, (laughs) and also it's kind of sad. So the fact that she read this out loud is pretty brave, I think. Um, She also read us out loud uh, Summer of the Monkeys and Where the Red Flirt Goes. So she just really likes to read out loud and cry, I think. That's what's fair. I digress. (laughs) So, uh, The Hiding Place. And what it's about is it's about the life of this woman. Um, It really starts in her childhood. Well, it's sort of retrospectives there, but it's about her childhood. But mostly it's about how she and her family hid Jews in Holland during World War II and then proceeded to um, 
go to concentration camp as a result. And and you know this as you're reading the beginning of the book, so I'm not spoiling anything. Yeah. But what it's really about is about the power of forgiveness. And I found that this book to be such an important and powerful reminder of that in my life. Now, when I heard it when I was a kid, that's not what stuck out. What stuck out was the sacrifice and all of these things. But I would say that as I've been an adult, I can go back to this book for this really powerful reminder. Um, and I would say like, there's not one person among us who cannot use a little tiny lesson in forgiving somebody. So this is really just been a powerful, powerful um, vehicle for that in my life. Um, and again, I read that book ragged. I mean, it was falling apart. I don't even have it that because it fell apart. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting the chills as you're talking about it, just thinking of the story. And I, I totally agree with you. I think forgiveness is something that I've long pondered in my own life, right? We're all faced with those moments. Um, and they do such an exceptional job uh, in their circumstances in doing that. So I totally see where that I, I actually think this is the book that I chose that changed my life as well. In my episode, yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. I was like trying to think. <laughs> I was like, darn it. She in. took it. But then I was like, no, no we can I, share. <laughs> I didn't describe it that way. So this is very beautiful because I love to see how books touch other people. Right. And what speaks yeah. to you because we're all different and we all come from different walks of life. So how it's going to speak to our heart will be very different. Right. Well, and isn't that the beauty of books that they all that they have a me different message for everybody who's reading them? Yeah. So what you take away and what I could take away can be wildly different from the same book, but we still have the commonality of this thing that we love that was the vehicle for that. Yeah. I wish I would have known that back as a high school student, right? Because I feel like I was always really shy to raise my hand in class because I thought I might have the wrong answer. But knowing that books can touch us all so differently, right? We're We're going to pick up different things. And I think I don't know. I don't know if my teachers were pushing that, right? Or just the themes that they wanted us to identify. Um, but yeah, something mm -hmm. to think about. <laughs> All right. And then what is one book that you have read that has intimidated you? So when I think about books intimidating me, what I think about is they're hard to get through. Okay. Okay. So yeah. like, it just cannot crack the code on reading this stupid book. So the first of those, like the first one I ever had that problem with was Huckleberry Finn. I just like, I could not get past where they're all floating down the river and like the king, like they're all there. And there's like this guy who thinks he's some sort of king. And I was maybe in fifth grade at the time. And so yeah. really what was going on is that I did not understand what was going on in the book that made that part interesting. And so I think I ended up listening to it on tape, but I've since actually read it and don't see what the problem was. Although that, that part does sort of drag. <laughs> but yeah. as an adult, you understand all of the undertones of that that you're not going to pick up as a fifth grader um at least i did not uh and you know i've encountered other books like that since that i just like for some reason you just can't get through this stupid thing so uh silas marner um by i can't remember her name right now um was one of those excellent book but for some reason i just couldn't get through it very good book though um another classic literature and then yeah. another one that is kind of like that was anna karenina um who among us have not battled russian literature i, ask I you. feel so. you 100 percent on this 
So I was like, so help me God, I am reading this book. And what helped me with that was I got it on my Kindle. Okay. So I can have this little at the bottom of your Kindle, you can have this percentage red button. And I was just like, every day I will read 1% of this book. So yeah. <laughs> and I just powered through. It was a great book, but gosh, I had to like, I'd work hard. Yeah. To save my path, I studied abroad in Rome for a semester. And so to. I was only allowed two suitcases for six months. So to minimize my book load, I brought this book, Anna Karenina, because I thought it's a really thick book. I'm going to be studying anyways, but I I need a leisure book to have in there. We we planned on traveling, you know, taking train trips when we could. And I remember my, I went with my best friend, my roommate, and I struggled through that book for the entire semester. And she, every trip, she'd be like, you're really going to bring it again? Like you, you say how much you dislike it. And I'm like, now at this point that was back in my life when I had if I started a book I had to finish it I have since given up that mentality but I was like nope I brought it so I'm gonna finish it and and I did and I think that I didn't pick up on a lot kind of what you're saying I didn't pick up a lot of on the undertones or the themes that were going on in the book so I just didn't understand it right maybe if I sat down and read it more consistently versus these sporadic trips here and there I would have digested it a little bit more but I I struggled with that one as well Oh, yeah. God bless her. <laughs> yeah. And it's thick. <laughs> it is thick. And and I'm with you. I have since learned to abandon books. I, I started a book that someone recommended uh, as part of my, I mentioned my <laughs> cruise, my cruise list. Uh, someone recommended the book Hell of a Book by Jason Mott. And it is, it's really good. I just wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. So I stopped reading it. Yeah. I, it feels like a crime. Like I've some sort of portrayed the like book reading code or something but it's allowed yeah do you have a certain amount of time you'll give a book so maybe like the first 50 pages or if you're doing audiobook like a percentage or no I just you know I read until I'm frustrated maybe like I just why am I not liking this and then it's like okay like let's have a discussion amongst ourselves hello what is going on (laughs) yeah (laughs) are you tired is this just not the book for you and and that's okay you know, and then I and then I abandoned ship. My husband, I recently read The Maid by Nita Prose. Oh, yeah, and <clears throat> yeah, so it was highly recommended and I really wanted to like it. But I have a really hard time reading books where somebody is being preyed upon. Like they don't know that they are being taken advantage of, but you know that they're being taken advantage of. And so it's tr- it's transparent to you, the reader, what's going on and they aren't getting it. And I can't handle it. I'm just like, I want to like swoop in and save this person. I, just, I can't be a party to their suffering. So yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I have to stop reading this book. It's, it's, I just, I can't do it. And he's like, just read the end of the book. See what happens. I was like, oh, you can't do that. So then I did that. And I totally do that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, this is like against the law of reading. But I did. I, you know, I Kindle hopped to because I had it on e-reader to the back of the book, just like to make sure it works out okay. And then because people were like, no, you should stick it out. You're really it's gonna work out. And I'm like, are you sure? So I went to the back of the book, read the last couple of pages, made sure that everything, everyone was fine, and then continued to read the book. It was actually very good. But <laughs> yeah, I have admitted this on the show that that is something that I do. And I realized today I had the itch to do it. I'm reading The Lost Girls of Paris by Pam Jenoff. And it's a historical fiction. And it it really picked up this morning. And 
of course, it was almost time for my kids to get up for the day. So I'm like, I'm not going to be able to, I had this itch of like, I just want to know what happens, right? Of like seeing where it goes. So sometimes I'll skip ahead like 20 pages to kind of see. Yeah. <laughs> but there's been other times, but then I know what happens and then I can see the transformation of the story. So I do that more often than I probably should admit on the show as I skip ahead. <laughs> I will say, I mean, I like I already mentioned Demon, Demon Copperhead. I, that book had a profound sort of sticking stickiness with me. Um, I did the same thing there. Like I kind of skipped ahead because I could not handle how much this child was suffering in this book. Um, and I had to make sure he make it out. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an, like, an adaptation from David Copperfield, right? From yes, yeah, and okay. it's by Bar- Barbara King Solver. King okay. Solver, yeah. All right, yeah. I, I actually on I forget what which episode, but the recent foodie nonfiction nonfiction episode was another Barbara King Solver, the Animal Vegetable Miracle. Mm, I've not read that one. And it's her. It actually sounds really fun. She goes and lives on the farm, or they decide to take living on a farm and eating locally for an entire year, and it's like the Ooh. adventure that they undertake when they do this. So. Um, she's a very great writer. So I, Demon Copperhead is definitely on my list. Yeah. So, but I'll need to be prepared for it. It sounds like yes. be emotionally prepared to pick yes, that one be up. Be strong. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, last question here. What are you reading next? So, um, I am reading right now, Life in Five Sentences by Gretchen Rubin in preparation for an episode that she's coming on my podcast to record. Yay! Um, so that I'm pretty excited so about exciting. that. That's her new book upcoming. Um, and it is about her exploration of using her five senses. So I'm sort of in the middle of that. But when I get done with that, I am reading The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. And I have to look it okay. up because I have it already on my Kindle waiting for me. So people who have library cards who get have a Kindle may face this problem, which is that you put your name on a list for a book. And then it just materializes when it's ready. And then you get to borrow it for 21 days and then whoop, it zips away from you. Yeah. Um, this is a major problem for me because I am not always done with a book in 21 days or it comes to me after waiting for like two years or something crazy. And I'm in the middle of another book or I have already another one waiting. Yeah, It's a pickle. Okay. So how I solve this is that I tr- I download all the books and then I turn off my Kindle from syncing. <laughs> <laughs> to so, airplane mode. <laughs> to airplane mode. And so the library has yanked the book from me, but the book is still with me because this Kindle is not syncing to the world to have it be told that the book is no longer available to me. Yeah. So I have a list of books that I have to read before I can sync my Kindle again. <laughs> so I can't even turn it on to see what's going to be available. Yeah. I think so that's one a of thriller, them, right? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was recommended to me as part of my cruise list yeah. and it came available after I requested it months ago. And here it is. And after that, I have uh, next, I have tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which I've I also just got that good. one today. I just, it keeps popping up. Like it was like a skip the line hold. And we had a ton of family visiting the past few weeks. So I kept extending it out. Cause I'm like, there's no, like you said, no way I'm going to get to it before it expires. So it just came in today and my mom left yesterday. So I I snagged it today. (laughs) Yeah. So good luck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. I really appreciate your time. I know it's precious. And so I appreciate what you've given us today. Well, thank you so very much for having me. It is delightful to talk about one of my favorite things, 
which is reading. Thank you for listening to Amy Bouchatz and I in our discussion today on her book flight with classics that are nature-based. We'd love to hear what other books you might pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show. So if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.